where the DJ talks. Don't say anything. Okay. Each of these media creates a uh, new environment. It creates a new situation for human association and human conception. Any medium at all creates a new pattern, a new, a new atmosphere, a new environment of human perception, which works upon the whole man. It works upon the whole society. That is the effect of a medium. It has that total pervasive effect. That is the message that social change that is brought about. The content of the medium is never the message because the content is always the old medium. From the vast wilds of the Great White North for the week of June 6th, 2022, it's TVA, a Canadian perspective on television from north of the 49th parallel. I'm Greg David. And I'm Amy Wilson. And we would like you to put your television on mute or pause your streaming service for episode 246 of TVA, the podcast. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back in your ears again. Uh, Thank you for joining us, streaming us, downloading us. Uh, however you listen to us and and having us on your devices. Um, Before we kind of get into the main stuff and and, uh, and debuting a new segment that I think is going to become very useful this summer, um, did want to apologize to folks um, uh, that we didn't record a few weeks ago as scheduled because, uh, well, there was a power outage here in Quebec. There was a really bad um, thunderstorm that rolled through Ontario and Quebec and uh, took out the power here. And uh, we were just under 70 hours without power, which was just enough to basically spoil everything in the fridge and the freezer. And of oh, course, if you don't have power, you have no internet, so you can't do recording. So I apologize for that. And then I have to throw this over to Amy. The big reason that we didn't record uh, on uh, Sunday was because of the massive party that took place in uh, England about a little, you know, for uh, celebrating a a little lady that a lot of people have known and, and read about and spent time with, I guess, and for the last 70 years. So, Amy, tell us about the spectacle that took place in England over the last few days. Yes, we had the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, her 70th year uh, reigning over the UK, England, and Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. Still have to get all that right. As an right. American, I'm still learning all my little things about the country here. Um Yes, it was a huge bash, a huge deal. And then we got two bank holidays off. So it was a four day weekend. Uh, And so we hosted, we had friends that hosted a party and we also had some friends over on Sunday. And that was why I could not record because I was, I was uh, toasting the queen. So it was, it was a, it was a fun time though. That is so great. And, you know, we joked, uh, I, I joked about how fascinating it was to me. And, and I, it isn't really that much of a joke because it is fascinating. I mean, I'm not a huge monarchist, but I do recognize the fact that 70 years is a pretty incredible, um, you know, pretty incredible milestone and good for you guys for celebrating in style with four days of that's That's the way to party, man. Forget about the U S where I guess it's the week leading up to Thanksgiving is basically a write-off in the U S man. The, yeah. the Brits know how to do it too. Uh, they sure do. And uh, I'm obviously I'm an American and I'm used yeah. to having a Fourth yeah, of July and we get, uh, you know, a couple of days off for that. But there isn't really an equivalent UK 
summer holidays. So this was kind of the closest to that. It's a, it's a one-off. It'll never happen again. But right. uh, yes, flags everywhere. And it had a very similar feel to it to a U.S. Uh, Fourth of July or maybe a, a Canada Day or something like that. But uh, with fireworks and things like that. But but yes, it was it was amazing uh, parades and uh, everyone our town uh, lit a beacon. Uh, they did that on uh, Friday night across the nation. They were lighting beacons across the the, the country and across huh. the world. I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. And I'm not a monarchist either. Obviously, uh, it's, it's very new to have a, a uh, to have a queen yeah. <laughs> from the States. But but yes, even even people who don't um, aren't real fans of the monarchy over here. I mean, everyone kind of likes the queen. You, you can't argue that she's uh, a very inspirational and uh, uh amazing woman so yeah. uh everybody was able to find something to, to celebrate and and if they didn't they well at least it was two days off before <laughs> yeah off I, was, I was gonna say so. you can't go wrong when they give you two days off they're hard to complain in that case yeah it, it was a good excuse to barbecue and <laughs> basically well speaking of drinking great segue as you uh, I'll, I'll stall for time as you take a sip uh for the beverage update what have you what have you got on the go uh just so people know it's 4 30 my time so what is that are you around 9 9 38 uh, it is it, yep 9 38 p.m all right and since i've had such a, a a rocking weekend already i'm having just um water basically right now but my uh what i've been uh, imbibing on this weekend is pims and lemonade mm. and um that it is sold in, in Canada and, and in the U.S., but I don't know how popular Pims and Le- Lemonade is over there. But it is a gin-based be- uh, liqueur, and uh, uh, Pims and Lemonade uh, is a very traditional drink for the summer here. And you usually put uh, some uh, a slice of cucumber, an orange slice, some mm. strawberries, and some mint in it. And so it's very refreshing. And... Um, yeah, it's 25% alcohol. So it's, I mean, it's a mid-grade. It's, it's more than wine, but less than like, gin right right it's a nice a nice thing to sip in the afternoon so i've had plenty of those this weekend what do you have what do you have so i'm just having a a can of ginger ale canada dry ginger ale because i'm canadian it says it's made from real ginger and they make these little cup these little cans i don't drink the big cans really anymore um i i try to stay away from the big ones so i'm just going with one that's i don't know 80 calories or something per per can Mm -hmm. so nothing nothing super exciting uh, it's not on ice. It's just fridge cold. I want to ask you, though, about Pims, because the Pims cup, isn't that a southern U.S. drink where you muddle it with? I know I'm 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 calling Probably. out the I'm calling out the Michiganian or Michiganite yeah. on this. Um but yeah, I feel like that's a southern drink in the states. It could be. Uh, well, I do, it doesn't surprise me. It's <laughs> a, it is a a very good, uh, uh, you know. Uh, liqueur, so I, I don't doubt that other places uh, make good use of it. But okay. <laughs> and I, I did live in Georgia for a couple of years, and it does sound vaguely familiar. But yeah, I yeah. feel like like yeah, like Southern Georgia, like plantation Pims cup. I don't know. I may be way off base. Uh, I don't know. Just for some reason, when you said Pims, I just thought of that. But anyway, well, well, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, it we'll is do delicious. some we'll- recommended. Okay, excellent, excellent. So uh, uh, that's that's those are our two uh, drink sponsors this week. So we'll put some links in the in the show notes so that you can shop for your ginger ale and your and your pims. Uh, maybe I'll throw a link into where you can find cucumber cucumber slices as well. Um, so let's get into what's happening on the Canadian TV schedule in the next two weeks. 
And there's really nothing going on in the Canadian television schedule when it comes oh, to no. debuting and returning shows. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those rare times where beginning of June, uh, you know, end of May, beginning of June, uh, there isn't really too much going on. In a couple of weeks, though, there will be some stuff. Um, CBC uh, revealed their schedule and uh, there will be some dates coming up in uh, in July and then, of course, into the fall that we can talk about next time. But um we do have a few news stories, and uh, the first one is about uh, season three of a well, uh, well-received show here in Canada on global TV. So I'll let you go ahead with that one, Amy. Yes, Global has uh, greenlit a third 10-episode season of the legal drama Family Law, starring Jewel State and Victor Garber. Filming, filming began on May 24th in Vancouver, and the first season aired in Canada last fall, and the I believe season two hasn't even premiered yet. So this That's is right. a pretty big vote of confidence for the show already, already to get a, uh, a season three order. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, Family Law follows a lawyer uh, who's a recovering alcoholic who's forced to work at her father's family law practice in Vancouver as part of her probation. And, and as, re- as a result, is forced to deal with her own dysfunctional family relationships as she solves the legal problems of other dysfunctional families. And... I've I've seen a few episodes of this uh, of this show, and I, I kind of like Burden of Truth before it. Uh, it. It's a show that I found at least is deeper and more engaging than its somewhat bland legal title suggests. Yeah, and it has some nice performances in it. I'd like to start a petition to demand better names for law dramas because I always feel like they're they they never do themselves favors with having some of these names. I mean, I know family law, and and wow, they also have a dysfunctional family, but I'm like. Yeah. Until you sit down and see it, there's nothing that those those titles never like pull you in sometimes. And so, but obviously the show is doing really well with audiences and the first season was just picked up by CW in the States. Uh, so um, uh, the series is produced by seven, uh, 724 Films and Lark Productions. Creator Susan Nielsen serves as executive, executive producer and showrunner. And viewers can catch up on season one on the Global TV app and Stack TV. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the chance to talk to Susan Nielsen back uh, and Jewel State as well back when season one debuted. And yeah, they had already filmed the second season and had a second season in the can when they were promoting the first season. Um, uh, they just kind of took advantage of, of filming two seasons back to back. So yeah, this mm. is um, this is good news. And yeah, I totally agree with you. They've got to do something about the names of these shows because I, you know, I get it. Yeah. Family law and it's family law, but okay. Like, come on. And what I, what I will say also some of the storylines in the first season were were very well done when it came to the the people that they um uh, the the people that were part of the the legal side of it that were coming in for advice. Um, there mm-hmm. was a, a Down syndrome couple, uh, actor and actress that uh, that were part of the cast in an episode. I thought it was very well done. They've been very inclusive and showed a lot of diversity when it comes to the cast and uh, and the storyline. So I'm excited about a, a third season of Family Law for sure. Yeah. And uh, it looks like you've got some news about the uh, Screen Nova Scotia Awards. I do. So the uh, the Screen at Nova Scotia Awards, uh, they've announced their uh, 2022 award nominees. And uh, they're also the big news for them, of course, is that as more groups head back in in-person uh, celebrations, that'll be the case with uh, Screen Nova Scotia. So it's the eighth annual event. It's going to take place in a couple of weeks, Saturday, June the 18th, at uh, Casino Nova Scotia in the Schooner Ballroom. 
So if you want to head to the Ooh. Schooner Ballroom on June the 18th, after you're done your slots at Casino Nova, Casino Nova Scotia, you can get your tickets ahead of time. Um, the awards recognize and celebrate the talent, creativity, and passion are the, that are the trademarks of Nova Scotia's film, television, and animation industry. Um, they're going to be giving out outstanding performances, film crew excellence awards, and women in film and television Atlantic awards as well. Um, I'll just kind of scroll down to some of the uh, categories that will um, will be of interest to, to folks that listen to the podcast. For best television series, uh, Digstown go, is going up against Moonshine and Spirit Talker, and this hour has 22 minutes. So all in the best television series category. And uh, Digstown is filmed right in Halifax. Moonshine is filmed outside. And I think Spirit Talker is in Halifax too, as is This Hour Has 22 Minutes. Season 29 of This Hour Has 22 Minutes, by the way, is nominated in this category. So uh, congratulations to all the nominees. If you head to uh, uh, tva.com, tv-eh.com, you can uh, check out the rest of the uh, the nominees. Uh, Vanessa Antoine, Vanessa Antoine from Digstown is uh, nominated in uh, the Outstanding Performance category, as is Susan Kent from Digstown, Celia Coogan, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, from Moonshine, um, and Jacob Samson from Digstown, and Rob Wells from Dawn, her dad in the tractor. Rob Wells, you'll remember from uh, Trailer Park Boys. So a little mm-hmm. interesting, the outstanding performances, that's a massive category full of, of people. But yeah, so I like to spotlight, you know, because we're so used to just getting the news about what's going on in Toronto, I always like to mention uh, these awards, uh, like the Screen Nova Scotia Awards and the Leo Awards out in the West Coast. So, yep, that's the news about mm-hmm. Screen Nova Scotia. And Amy, I'm leaving you with the last news story, a very exciting. Speaking of the East Coast, you can't get any more East Coast than this uh, this reality competition series. Very true. Uh, CBC has announced the return of its original competition series, Race Against the Tide. It's this, its second season will kick off on Sunday, July 10 at 8.30 p.m. on CBC and CBC Gem. Hip-hop artist Maestro Fresh Wes will host the new season, taking over from Sean Majumber, who was the host for season one. Uh, the show features a group of sand sculptors who compete head-to-head at New, Bruns- at New Brunswick's the Bay of Fundy to create extraordinary sand sculptures before the world's highest tide comes in and wipes them out. Each two-person <laughs> team has yeah, each two-person team has six hours to create their art, their sand art, and avoid elimination either by nature or by the two judges, who are five-time sculpting world champion Karen Freilich and master sculptor Rusty Croft. The new season will feature sculptors from Canada, the United States, Latvia, the Netherlands, Germany, Mexico, and South Korea. And the winning duo will take home a grand prize of $10,000. Race Against the Tide is produced by Marble Media, which also produces the glass-blowing competition Blown Away, which uh, both Greg and I have praised on an earlier podcast. We, yeah. we like that one. And uh, I have to say that the sand sculptures are amazing and the scenery in the Bay of Fundy is gorgeous. So if you enjoy a competition series, this might be another one to check out. And you can catch up on season one on uh, CBC Gem. Yeah, this is crazy what Marvel Media has done with some of the competition programs that they've come up with. There was a landscape painter uh, competition that was blown away, which we both loved. And this is this is something else to see. Like these aren't people with a couple of buckets making a sandcastle. These are full on, um, you know, uh, 
there's a science behind this was explained to me by the showrunner. There's a science behind the types of sand that you can use. That's good for um, making these, these sculptures. There needs to be a certain amount of water in the sand to hold it. And it just blows me away. No pun intended that, you know, you've got the high tide is literally going to end the competition. And each episode ends with showing the water, (laughs) taking these, (laughs) these sand sculptures away. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I'm, you know, all credit to Sean Majunder, uh, who has got other stuff on the go. He's signed on to a couple of U.S. television shows, and that's why he can't mm. participate in this season. But I'm very excited to see Maestro Fresh West taking part in uh, season two of this show. Yeah, looks like it will be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So let's. Uh, th- so those are the news stories. And uh, we'll have more news, of course, in a couple of weeks when we come back and probably some stuff in the calendar as well. But we're going to use this opportunity uh, to, ha- to be a little bit light on news to unveil a new segment that uh, we've been kicking around this idea for a little while now. Um, and we're going to look back on Canadian, a Canadian TV show from the past, uh, kind of go over what it's about, our thoughts on it, and uh, where you can find it today, as well as the impact that it might have had or not on, uh, on the television industry, either in Canada or, uh, or around the world. And we are going to be kicking off with a heavy hitter, uh, with a show that's near and dear to your heart, Orphan Black. So I'm going to turn the microphone over to you to talk a little bit about it before, uh, you know, I kind of weigh in and we'll have a little bit of a back and forth on Orphan Black. (laughs) Okay. Well, yes, Orphan Black holds a special place in my heart because not only is it a, in my opinion, fantastic series, but it also inspired me, as I mentioned in our first, uh, my first uh, appearance on the podcast. Uh, it inspired me to start covering Canadian TV. Um, I was doing other entertainment uh, uh, reporting before that. And it's also partly responsible for helping me meet my wife. So I would not be in the UK today if it weren't for this show. Uh, uh, long story short, I was writing for another outlet. I did a couple of interviews with uh, some Orphan Black cast members. She wrote me, a, a my wife wrote me a, a, an email uh, saying that she enjoyed the uh, the articles and one thing led to another and now I live in England. So thank you, Orphan Black. Uh, <laughs> I think, yes, definitely. Um, and now I'm toasting the queen on weekends, something I thought I'd never do, but here I am. But uh, with the announcement that Orphan, the, the, uh, an Orphan Black spinoff series, Orphan Black Echoes, has been greenlit uh, by AMC in the U.S., mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and the fact that the trailer has finally come out for She-Hulk, uh, uh, Tatiana Maslany's uh, Marvel series that people have been waiting to see how that uh, is going to look, that just came out uh, last week. So it seems like a good time to chat about uh, you know, the original series of Orphan Black and what it meant to the Canadian TV industry. Now, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Orphan Black is a sci-fi thriller created by showrunner Graham Manson and director John Fawcett that focuses on Sarah Manning, who's a single mother and grifter who gets pulled into a worldwide conspiracy after she witnesses the suicide of her doppelganger. It's a worldwide clones conspiracy, excuse me, after she witnesses uh, the suicide of her doppelganger. It premiered on March on March 30th, 2013 on Space in Canada and BBC America in the States and ran for five seasons ending on August the 12th, 2017. It became a cult hit with a rabid fan base known as the Clone Club. Mm-hmm. And and it launched, it is primarily known, known for launching uh, series lead uh, Tatiana Maslany into uh, megastardom, really. Yeah. Um, 
And I'll discuss a bit about what I loved uh, about Overblack in a minute. But but what did you think about the series when you first saw it, Greg? You know, it's kind of crazy when you said that 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 date when it debuted, um, because I had forgotten how long ago that was, like 2013. Mm. And what I remember about watching the very first episode and seeing that, you know, that doppelganger step out in front of the the train in that very first episode. Hey, it's 2013. It's not a spoiler alert anymore. You had a chance to watch it. But I was just I was blown away. I realized, okay, this show is unlike anything that I've seen before. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm here for whatever happens. And seeing Tatiana Maslany play multiple characters over those seasons, but, you know, a new character kind of being unveiled almost every week. I guess it wasn't every week, but just seeing how she could act and play these different characters um, so differently blew me away. Um and everybody was talking about this show. I remember Bill Simmons, yeah. who's, uh, you know, a, 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 a big writer down in the States uh, about, you know, covering sports and other things now. But I remember him talking about it. And I realized that, OK, this isn't just a Canada show. He's watching this on BBC America. And that's the other thing. I think you could probably argue that BBC America was made because of Orphan Black. Like it yeah. put that channel on the map. Um so I've just been really impressed. I mean, you you, you go through the the the, the cast: Tatiana Maslany, Dylan Bruce, Jordan Gavaris, Kevin Hanchard, who's on um, Hudson and Rex right now, uh, Maria mm. Doyle Kennedy, Evelyn Brochu, Ari Millen, Christian Brun. I mean, it's all these people that if you watch Canadian TV, you recognize these names, and they all came together on this show that was just incredible. I mean, I remember Christian Brun um, just making me laugh out loud with his storylines. It just it seemed as though there was nothing off the table. As out, as outrageous as Orphan Black could get, everybody was in on it for the ride. And so that was that was the the thing for me was just everything about this show was very different and I was and I was more than happy to jump in and 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 embrace it. Yeah, and um what you said about uh you know everybody talking about the show and you realized that it wasn't just a, a Canadian show. I um I remember I did not see uh, I I think I started watching it when, after about midway through the first series um and I remember somebody on Twitter, um, it was a political writer, uh, completely unrelated to the entertainment industry, that, and suddenly they were talking about the potential Emmy nominations for the year, and they were like, okay, so we just agree that uh, Tatiana Maslany is the, is the front runner, right? And I was like, who? Who's and they're the front runner. She's the front runner, and so I. Um, but I remembered seeing the the ads for it on BBC America, and so I looked it up and I made sure I watched it. And yes, that opening sequence where you know Sarah arrives in a train station and you know happens upon a crying woman who turns around and it has her face and then this woman steps in front of a train and there's a blood splatter and it's very it's kind of gross and dramatic and and yet and then she like you know goes to her own nature and like takes off with the woman's purse and steals her identity and off we go on a five-year you know journey of you know a story involving clones and identity and scientific conspiracies and and uh, yeah, it was something that pulled me in, pulled me in right away. And uh, I think that that opener's got to be one of the classic uh, uh, openers for a series that I remember. Uh, it just it really grabs you and pulls you in. And then you've got you know Tatiana Maslany, and every week you know she scene after scene, week after week, clone after clone. You know she just keeps on. It's like a high wire act, but it 
was never, you know, showy or anything. It was just, yeah. it was real solid acting and um, the emotion and the humanity she, she brought, brought to all of these clones was just astonishing. And, you know, after you hear buzz about somebody for quite some time, you're just kind of like, oh God, I'm so sick of hearing about, hearing about it, but I never got sick of hearing about it, about her. She deserved it so much. Yeah. That, you know what? You bring up a really good point. Cause there, even when you're watching a show after a while and you get tired of certain characters, I never got tired. There weren't any storylines that I got tired of or characters that I got, I got tired of. Um, I did. Okay. That's not true. I did get a little <laughs> bit tired of the, of Ari Millen's character uh, being cloned as well. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. I understand expanding the world. Um, but I was happy with Tatiana Maslany playing all of the, you know, the clone roles and, and, and I, and I liked that more. Yeah, it, that was a bit of a mistake. I, I think with with every kind of conspiracy show, you kind of have. Yeah, luckily, Orphan Black only lasted five seasons, so that 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 stopped them from going yeah. off in too many different directions. Yeah. But yes, there's always the problem that you're going to like go off on tangents that don't lead anywhere or just become too much. That was that was in the saggy middle. There was, there was <laughs> there wasn't much of a saggy middle in the series, but there was a little bit when they got to that. Yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah. So I, as someone who was watching it down in the U.S. and having that impact, um, do you I mean, I can speak from the Canadian side, but do you think that did that kind of uh, impress you? Were there other Canadian television shows that had impressed you like growing up and having access to it? Or is Orphan Black the one that's like, OK, well, Canadian TV can be good? <laughs> well, like I said, I grew up watching it, but I mean, I had affection for Canadian television, but I hadn't seen something I, well, I mean, you you have your 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 kids in the hall and your SCTV. Mm-hmm. You can you can never argue with Canadian uh, comedy chops. I mean, it's always been there. But I hadn't seen a drama in a while that came out of Canada that that um, made it to the states that uh, you know had that kind of uh, uh, buzz about it. And and yes, I that that's what inspired me to start writing about Canadian television is because people seem so surprised in the States that it was like, oh, my God, this is a Canadian show. And I'm like, well, that shouldn't be that surprising. It is true. This one is exceptional. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a huge Canadian hit at that time in a while, but mm-hmm. um, a drama. But yeah, um, but yeah it, it was people seem very shocked about it in the States and that. Uh, I understood it, and I was also kind of offended by it as as a, a close neighbor of yeah. Detroit. So, uh, but yeah, it definitely seemed to be a big deal that it was done in Toronto. And um, but and then you know, uh, uh, Tatiana Maslany went on to win the Emmy. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people thought that was a pie in the sky goal, and she did it. For, yep. and she won for Best Actress uh, season three, I believe it was. And of course, won several Canadian, uh, screen awards. Uh, but that kind of, she was the first, uh, let me say the first Canadian to win a major acting award, uh, major, major acting Emmy for their work in a Canadian series at the Crazy. time. And then, but then just a few years later, you've got Shit's Creek absolutely wiping, you know, just cleaning yeah. the floor at the Emmys. So, yeah. you know, it was, but, uh, Orphan Black kind of did it first. So, yeah, yeah, the yeah, I agree with you about the drama. I mean, Flashpoint had been on the air in the states, but it was yeah, a true. it was but it was a fill in uh, that was during the writers' strike and really didn't grab the headlines that that certainly Orphan Black did. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the writing of Orphan Black. I loved how inclusive it was. You had you had uh, same sex relationships um, that just were like again going back to Shit's Creek. You just accepted the the storylines and the characters. I think that Orphan Black probably had a lot to do with that. Um, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and yeah, I just 
just think, and I think that of course, you know, that's probably something to do with it being on a specialty channel, being on space in Canada and BBC America, you pay a little bit extra for those channels. So it's almost like an HBO where you can tell those extra storylines, those special storylines, those maybe more boundary pushing storylines that you can't tell uh, at that time on conventional television anyway. Yeah. And the uh, the fact that in the show, Cosima and uh, Delphine, who was played by Evelyn Brochu, uh, they were the show's main romantic storyline. Yeah. And um, and it, it when the show ended, they were one of the few lesbian romances that uh, have gotten a happy ending. And that wow. was iffy for a while. Yeah, it's true. And, they, you know, it was at a time where, you know, the... Um, uh, the the barrier gaze trope was still yeah. uh, it, it played out several times again and it's and it it was you know the mid uh, you know it was twenty fourteen fifteen sixteen it was still happening on several shows and um, I I was afraid it was going to happen on Orphan Black again mm-hmm. I mean, I I am you know a gay woman and and I've lived through many many of these storylines and you just automatically think until recently until Orphan Black in the last five six seven years. Whenever there was a lesbian couple, you just assumed that one of them's gonna die. Wow! And that's because that's a lot of reasons. I mean, that's usually because it would it wouldn't be the star of the show that would be the the, the character, and so then uh, uh, they their their partner would their girlfriend uh, would be um, you know a guest star, and then they wouldn't uh, sign them, and then they'd go on to another series, and then they'd have to kill them off mm-hmm. just because of the structure of the show was mm-hmm. such that 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 they wouldn't get to stick around, and and they never understood how important it was you know not to have another dead gay character on the show, and but I got to talk to Graham Manson um, uh, when the the show ended in 2017, and I asked him about that because. Uh, there was a cliffhanger involving Delphine and that whether she was going to live or die. And, and he was very much aware of that, that trope and fought very hard to make sure, even though she was starring at X company at the time that they would bring her back and not kill her off. But it was, it was a little touch and go there. And I know that a lot of fans were a little nervous, but so I'm proud of the show for that because they did, they did do some important work by making sure that they didn't do some things that some other shows have done. And, and the overall feminist sensibility of the show, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, uh, you know, the battle for control of female bodies, which is, uh, you know, as relevant as ever. Yeah. As continue to be. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so, awesome. That's awesome. Um, is, is it uh, now it is available. All, I just checked on my phone while we were talking and, and all five seasons of Orphan Black are available on Crave here in Canada. Mm-hmm. You have to pay at least nine ninety nine a month for that. Um not sure. I didn't look to see if it's available anywhere in the U.S. I'm going to assume that it is. Um, but what about in the U.K.? Is there anywhere that you can check I, it out? I, I did try to check it out. Unfortunately, my computer is always so confused about what country I'm in that <laughs> what I, I use, you know, a, you know, a VPN, yeah. and it, it can never tell me because I'll be like, you know, Orphan Black USA, and I'll like turn on the thing, and it still thinks I'm in the U.K. or vice versa. So. My horrible answer is that I tried to look that up today and it made it look like it was alternately on Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime. It is probably on one of those here and in the U.S., but I cannot answer definitively. It's out there, though, folks. Yeah, you know what? You bring up a really good point because just depending on the licensing, it could very well be on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Yes, so definitely Google it wherever you're living and want to watch Orphan Black or for the first time or relive it. Um, uh, then definitely check it out. And again, like I said, available here on uh, Crave in Canada. 
Oh, thanks, Amy. That was I, I. I enjoyed going back and talking about that. And of course, you mentioning X Company makes me think. Oh, we should probably talk Ooh. about X Company because we both love that show. We've also we got should talk about nineteen two. Nineteen two. Yes, Flashpoint. There are so mm-hmm. many shows. Um, you know, just uh, it, just in the last couple of decades that we can be talking about, um, and we will do that in uh, in the weeks to come. Um, but in uh, so to wrap up today's chat, Amy, where can people find you when you're not sitting in, in front of a microphone talking about uh, the Queen's ju- Platinum Jubilee and, uh, and Orphan Black? You can find me on Twitter at Wilson underscore A underscore R. You don't want to pitch the, you want to pitch the bulldog? Uh, oh, oh yeah. I, and my, and my bulldog <laughs> Cadbury, Cadbury, the bulldog at Cadbury, the bulldog on Instagram. You can find out about all the things she's been destroying in my house, which are many. She's gone through three, count them three of our sky TV remotes in the <gasps> last two weeks. Oh. Obviously. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a problem and it's <laughs> mostly our fault. It's obviously if she keeps getting a hold of them, but literally it's been a situation. The first time we did, she didn't care about the remote. The second time I left the room literally to get my coffee cup and thought she would, she wouldn't dare in the 15 seconds. She sure did. And, uh, and the third time my mother-in-law, um, was watching her and, um, tried to, uh, go to the loo and, uh, didn't put it up high enough. So yes, my dog is eating all the all the TV remotes. That's crazy. You're you're literally all going to have to walk around with a remote in your pocket wherever you I go. I do that now. I do yeah. that. I I wear a you know a, a hoodie and I put it in my pocket. <laughs> but yes, I'm you, so can, you can see her guilty little face on Instagram. Excellent. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at tv underscore eh, and of course you can also visit tv hyphen eh.com for uh, interviews, reviews, all about Canadian television, uh, spoilery stuff, industry stuff. It's all there. That wraps up the TVA podcast. And now back to your regularly scheduled program.